Hi, I'm Father Daniel Duplantis, a Catholic priest, martial artist, and host of the Karate Priest Podcast. Have you ever wondered what the Church teaches about different topics? Are you a martial arts enthusiast or just someone who wants to learn more about martial arts? I'd like to invite you to join me and many guests on my podcast as we cover topics of faith, everyday living, and martial arts on the Karate Priest Podcast. Welcome back to season four of A Catholic's Perspective, the podcast all about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, we are going to be talking about how to reach fallen away Catholics. And to talk about that, we have Keith Nestor. Welcome, Keith Nestor. Well, thanks for having me, Amber. It's good to be with you here today. Of course. Yeah, it's great to have you back. You've been on my podcast a couple times. We've done some live streams together. It's just, I always feel like when we do talk, we learn so much and we just get so much out there for people. Well, I know I do. I always <laughs> learn something new when I talk with you, so I'm appreciative of the opportunity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So for those who might not be um, familiar with you, do you want to introduce yourself to them? Sure. So I uh, was a Protestant pastor, ministry worker for about 22 years um, before I became Catholic in 2017. So I had a, a conversion experience. And um, about a year after that, I started doing some ministry stuff. I wrote a book called The Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism, Your First Year in the Church. I have a podcast called Catholic Feedback and also another one called Unpacking the Mass, which is a Bible study. I travel around and give talks at parishes and conferences and things like that. And I wrote a new book last year called Unpacking the Mysteries of the Rosary, which grew out of our daily live stream rosary prayer group called the Rosary Crew, which we've been praying live on my YouTube channel, my other YouTube channel, uh, since March 17th of 2020. So we've been at it every day for well over three years now, and uh, it's been absolutely awesome. I travel around in an RV, praying the rosary with different people across the country, and um, I have three kids that are adults, a wife, Estelle, who travels with me, and uh, we are just so excited to be part of what God's doing in the Catholic Church. That's wonderful. And yeah, you sent me a copy of your book, The Rosary Book, and I love it. So oh, thank you so much. It's fantastic. Um, I'm really excited about it. And I think if we're correct, we're going to have you on the book club. Yes. Yes, it as well. I, lo I look forward to that. Yeah, I'm so excited to announce that because people are going to flip out because a lot of my followers love you. So like, they're going to be so excited to have you on there. So that's Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> that's I just finished awesome. the audio for the audiobook for that. No and, way. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. That's fantastic. Now I want the audiobook. <laughs> no, just kidding. I listen to podcasts too, but no, that's fantastic. And the work that you're doing for the church is amazing. You can truly see how you're reaching souls. So thank you for your, you know, your work. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Of course. Um, but yeah, I guess just kind of jumping into our topic here, fallen away Catholics. Yeah, this is I was a fallen away Catholic. You're a convert. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're both on different spectrums, but almost the same in a sense, you know, we both came into the church, I had more of a background with Catholicism, but, you know, have you run into fallen away Catholics in your ministry at all? All the time. I talk to people who, and I don't know how they end up at my events or different things like that, but I, I run into people who know what I'm doing. And they're just like, Oh, I used to be Catholic, or I grew up in Catholic school or this or that or whatever. And, and for one reason or another, they they want to talk to me about why would you become Catholic? I left. So yeah, I, I do run into people who have who have fallen away. Wow, that's fantastic. I mean, it's really hard too because 
you know, when you do run into those people, it's like, <clears throat> almost like, what do you say to them, you know, when they when they tell you those things. And I've only ran into some fallen away Catholics online who tell me like, you know, I left the Catholic Church, you know, I don't necessarily run into them in person at my events. But to be able to do so is such a, a wonderful thing to be able to minister to those people. Um, and according to the like the Catholic News Agency, the Catholic News Agency, they stated that there's been like a 20% decline in practicing Catholics since the early 2000s. And I'm like, with it just seems like, you know, um, for every one Catholic that joins, three Catholics kind of like fall away. Um, and why do you think that is? Well, I'm surprised it's not worse. It might actually be worse than that. But I think what's interesting is just as people who are converting to the Catholic faith do so for different reasons, I think people fall away for different reasons too. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to people, you have to really understand, well, why did you fall away? Some people fell away gradually, and it wasn't because they had this moment where they were like, oh, I don't want to be Catholic anymore. I hate Catholicism. They just they just got into bad habits or they started slacking in the practice of their faith. Maybe they went to college and nobody was making them go to mass anymore. And they just sort of slid in this slow fade away from the church until one day they're just like, yep, I guess I'm one of those fallen away Catholics. But they don't necessarily harbor animosity toward the Catholic faith. They just kind of fell away from it. There are others who had more of a dramatic break from the church. Maybe something happened to them personally with a bad experience that they had, and that was what drove them away. It wasn't about what the church teaches or some kind of doctrinal aspect of the church. It had to do with their own personal experience. And they were like, well, this happened to me at this point in my life. I was a strong Catholic, and then this happened, so now I'm leaving. Right. And then there are other people that fall away because they've been, they've been lured away for theological reasons, like let's say they have, they weren't very sure of their faith or whatever, or why they were Catholic, and then they heard a Protestant or anti-Catholic give them some, you know, well actuallys about what's in the Bible or what the church does or this or that, and then they were enchanted and pulled away by that. And I've inter it's funny because I've interacted with people from that group with a different of those different groups a lot, like in the last even just a few weeks, talk to people who are those situations. So I think I think it's important to recognize. There's probably not one overarching reason. Um, there's a lot of little different reasons. I shouldn't say little. There's a lot of different reasons why people fall away. And if you want to know how to minister to those people, you have to find out what their story is. No, it's so true. And also what you said about going to college and falling away from your faith, it resonates with so many people because that's what happens. You know, they would go to church as a family and now they don't have anyone to hold them accountable. So because they have no one to hold them accountable and most of these, you know, colleges are very secular, parents are trying to figure out how to keep their kids in the faith when their kids are adults. And it's like, you can't force your kids to stay Catholic or become Catholic, but you know, bringing them up in the faith is something that they could value and and eventually come back to. And that's kind of how it was with me. It's like, I didn't go away to college. I did online college, but we fell away from the church um, as a family in the early 2000s, like, to, or well, 2010s-ish area. And it was because of all the scandals that were going on at the time. And so because of that, we uh, didn't know how to handle it. And we just kind of decided, well, the best thing to do was to leave. And 
instead, that's what kind of, um, I guess, slingshot me into all of this new age stuff. And, you know, you get introduced to things like pornography and stuff like that, and you don't know how to handle it. Um, because eventually your kids are going to be exposed to those things. But I mean, if they don't have a foundation or don't know about it, they're going to be blindsided by it. And they're going to learn what the world teaches about that stuff. And so reaching these fallen away Catholics, like you said, there's a bunch of different things. And like becoming a friend to them first is really how we can minister to them properly. Um, and that's something that I've noticed is the people who comment those things online, the the people who are like, oh, I used to be Catholic, like, you know, and I'm not that anymore. Um, they do harbor some sort of resentment. And I always wonder, I'm like, but what is that? But over like over the internet, nobody's really going to let their walls down enough to tell you. Um, and that's the hard thing about being on the internet is that you don't have that personal connection with somebody. Um, so it can make it very difficult to reach those people online unless you have a platform, I suppose. It's, that's so true. And that's, that's sort of the shortcoming of that. Um, and when you're, when you're listening to someone's story, you have to sometimes hear the story behind the story. Mm. So if I'm talking to a young person who was brought up in the church and then um, has left for whatever reason, you know, I want to know, okay, well, what was your, what was your upbringing like in the Catholic church? Did you feel good about it? Did you like that experience? Or were you one of those kids that couldn't wait to leave? Because sometimes in those situations, the whole leaving the church is just part of leaving mom and dad. Hmm. And they want to express their own opinions, their own independence, and figure things out for their own or on their own. And if they've been handed Catholicism since they were since they were born, and now they're venturing out into the world on their own, they want to question everything. And if they run into people who say, oh, well, did you know this? Did you know that? They're going to go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And mm -hmm. I've seen people fall away for those reasons. And so you have to really try to, I mean, get to know that person in their story, which like you mentioned, Amber, is really hard to do in the context of a YouTube comment section or an Instagram DM. Yeah. So it's, it, there, there are shortcomings to what we can do in that world. So we have to try to like address whatever specific things are being brought to us at the time. You know, if yeah. someone says, Oh, I left the Catholic church because it's unbiblical. Okay. Well, let's figure that out. What does that mean? And then go from there. But the best way I think, you know, to reach these fallen Catholics is to reach the ones that God has placed in your path. Mm. And that's who you're going to have an opportunity to deal with and to do the best job with that that you can understanding there's only going to be a limited number of people you can interact with at that level absolutely no i love that like the people you can minister to are the ones in your own path because it's true god will put people in our lives and he doesn't do it for no reason you know it's not just for by sure. chance it's a god incidence it's not a co co coincidence i don't know how to say it anyway, coincidence coincidence <laughs> thank you it's early um but yeah and so it's so important that we do you know pay attention to the people in our own lives i think a lot of times we go outside of our own families and outside of our own our own friends and we try to minister to strangers but in reality like the greatest work that can be done is in the circles we already currently have um and if other people come across you then 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 great you know but i do think that we need to minister to the people in our own lives if possible at least yeah this is so interesting because 
You know how Jesus makes that comment. He says, a prophet has no honor in his own home. And I've, I've discovered like in my ministry, I can have a lot more impact with some people that aren't in my own home, mm. you know, in some areas, but in other areas, I can have a way greater impact on those that are, and when I say in my own home, I don't mean in my house. I just mean in my world that I can know personally. Right. There are some ways where I can do way more with people that are in my life in person. And then there are some ways when I can do way more with people that aren't like that. And I, but I think that things that require a real true relational example, which we're going to get to in a minute, um, that's what you, you can't do that online. You can, you can present that to people in, in, in a limited context, but because people can watch your content or listen to you and think that they really know you personally, and they can to a certain degree, but not in the same way that, that people who are in your real life can. Mm, so true. Absolutely. And I mean, that's one of the things is like, having a social media platform really helps you to reach out, but then also keep your own circle and minister to both. Um, and I, I do think that it's, it can be more difficult to minister to family in cer certain circumstances, like you said, because they are family, um, especially if they have different views and stuff, you don't want to burn any bridges, but also you feel more comfortable with families. So it can be really difficult. But um, coming back to like the college students and you know, them falling away because they don't want to do what mom and dad have been doing and exploring, you know, do you believe that society has a role in people falling away from the faith? Oh, hundred percent. Because I mean, if, especially if you look at like our society today, what is the most valuable thing in our society today? Okay. And this is, this is changing a lot. I'm going to argue that from the, the, the standpoint of what society values the most right now is complete autonomy. Mm -hmm. and individualism, the ability to create your own truth, the ability to do things the way you want to do them. And no one can infringe upon that, or, or make any kind of truth claim that affects your life. That's what seems to be the most important thing in our society. And when that value is placed forward, okay, as well as your truth, it's, I mean, and we've all seen examples of this oh, yeah. in our society where it's like, okay, um, you can't tell me anything about me. I get to say whatever, and you have to agree, okay? Mm -hmm. And of course, we've all seen plenty of examples of that. Well, the Catholic faith is the, I would say the polar opposite of that in some sense, to where truth is received and revealed by God not created by one's own sense of self or preferences or opinions, um, but it's revealed and it's received and it's not negotiable. You don't get to say, well, that's not my truth. In, in Catholicism, truth is just truth. And whether how we feel about it is really irrelevant to whether it's true or not. Beyond that, there's also this this authoritative aspect of Catholicism, which instantly people go, Ooh, I don't like that. Mm. But, but authority is a good thing because it keeps us safe. It keeps us in the bounds of what's real and what's, and what is the, the, the will of God. But that in and of itself is going to be a turnoff to people in our society. And so therefore people who are being influenced by our society are going to, they're going to like full stop right in the beginning of, oh, well, you're going to tell me what's true, then I don't want any part of that. 
Right. It almost takes people coming out of themselves and it takes humility, which is something that is not in today's world. No. You, you know, we're literally, uh, when we're recording this, it is Pride Month after all. You know, it's the month of the Sacred Heart, but, you know, they've literally created, um, you know, a, a holiday surrounding uh, sin, you know, surrounding um, a mortal sin. And so, Anyways, and yeah, we see that relativistic lifestyle everywhere today with abortion, um, you know, OnlyFans for girls and like all that stuff. They're just like, oh, well, I do it because I want to do it. And it's like, no, actually, <laughs> that's not how it works. Um, there's just so many things in today's society that comes back to what you were saying about that individualism and relativism and my truth is my truth, but you can believe whatever you want to believe. And the Catholic Church really calls us outside of ourselves to, hum you know, to humble ourselves and to realize that we are not the end all be all, you know, at the end of the day, we're not that important or special, you know, in, in any way. I mean, we're special to God, sure. But we really need to understand that, you know, our, you know, we have to, we have a place in this world and we cannot just, um, I guess, throw truth to the wind, because we cannot claim, you know, ignorance. I think a lot of people like to, to claim ignorance these days. And that's a huge issue today is people are people claim to be blissfully ignorant, but I believe they actually know and they just don't know how to humble themselves. And you humble yourself by becoming Catholic and practicing virtues and things. But, you know, virtue is seen is almost demonized these days. Um, if you have virtue or vir virtue is being out there, there's now like virtue signaling um, and people have kind of connected virtue with being a negative thing where they're like, oh, you know, all these sins, like, look how we've turned those things into good things. And I think it's really, really confusing for the younger generations that are coming into this. And I honestly don't know what to expect from them when they become adults. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting because it seems like the younger generation is being brought up with this with this this relativistic individualistic mindset. But if you look, it's people that are in my age category that are paving the way for this. Mm. And I, I, I wonder sometimes if there's going to be a tipping point, and I think that there will be, where people in your generation go, all right, this doesn't, this doesn't work. Yeah, this hasn't worked. All of this, this so-called freedom and so-called autonomy, it, it doesn't work because it's the same thing. Now, in my generation growing up, the freedom was was view, viewed differently, right? It was, I'm going to make my own decisions, but I don't get to create my own reality, right? right? So it's like this, this slippery slide into, well, now your generation is like, well, I'm creating my own reality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just about, well, I want to do what I want to do. It's, 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 you can't even tell me what's real anymore which eventually I think is going to self implode. And I wonder if there will be a tipping point where maybe the, maybe your kid's generation is going to be like, man, you guys were crazy. <laughs> and, but you never know, but see it all, it all goes down to this one particular thing. And this is the aspect of us that doesn't change. That really is the reason beyond the reason of why people fall away from, from their faith is that we have all, we've, we're, we're all sinners. And we've all got this, this desire deep within us to have it our way and to be Catholic at the core of that is to surrender that. 
Right. And I think that's that's hard for people because we're still convinced that if we're in control, if we're in charge, then we'll be better off. But all you have to do is look at societies. The, the, more, the more people have been given their so-called freedom, the more disastrous you see, because that, that's an illusion anyway. Because for people who say, well, I just want to create my own reality. They want to create that reality for me too. Mm. because it's not just about, and this is where my generation kind of was like, okay, fine. If you want to, you know, like we can talk about the whole gender thing for a second. You know, if you want to decide that, that you're uh, of a different gender than what you were born with, that's, I guess that's what you want to do, whatever. But I don't, I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not going to believe that you are that. Well, now it's like, no, you must. Mm. I've not just created truth for myself. I've created it for you as well. So to me, that's already a signal that people are realizing that this, this so-called autonomous freedom doesn't work because if it truly did Amber, then nobody would be demanding that anybody else call them by whatever pronouns they choose for themselves. True. Right. So my generation was more like, Hey, <clears throat> you know, you do you, I'm doing me, that's fine, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I don't have to buy into your stuff. You don't have to buy into my stuff. Well, your generation is now saying, no, I'm deciding what's true and you must affirm that, yeah. which is really just another truth claim. Yeah, with no foundation. It's a truth well, claim without foundation. It's just an opinion. Exactly. And that's why I think it's going to implode upon itself. And it already kind of is. I, mm -hmm. I see it around me, you know. Um, <laughs> And I could tell you plenty of stories if we had more time, but I, I, I had a very interesting conversation with someone about that just the other day, as a matter of fact, uh, really? that they had no answer to. But um, I think that's ultimately where it comes from, is the desire to, to like where it all started in the garden. Well, mm. did God really say, you know, and, and I want to I wanna make, I want to have that knowledge. I want to have that freedom. I want to do the thing that you said I couldn't do. Yeah. And it just, it's so crazy how history keeps repeating itself because it's human nature, right? Like it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's in our nature. And yet we get tricked every single generation or so because it comes over and it comes, it, it, you know, once we defeat something like this, it comes back under a different font and people are like, oh, that looks good. Let's go with that. You know, and what, it, what we really need is God. And this younger generation that's coming in, like you said, you know, I do think that my children's generation are going to be the ones who are just like, yeah, you guys were psycho. Like, <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, every, let's, let's be real, though. I mean, just about every generation says that about the one before them. But yeah, but uh, that but I, I think in your your kids generation, I think that's going to be very, very pronounced. They're oh. going to look back and go what the heck were you thinking, you mm -hmm. know, allowing, allowing men to compete in women's sports, they're going to be oh, like, yeah. you guys are nuts. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. And honestly, I think a lot of people are coming around. I mean, we have young people like Brett Cooper, a couple other people, you know, online who have been talking out about this. And, you know, my generation, almost in a sense, and a little bit younger than me, seems to almost like be defying the odds and coming back to the faith. I mean, I was one of them about three or four yeah. years ago. And that kind of surprised me even till this day that I came back, not because I was like, 
oh, this is something that I didn't want. No, it's something I wanted, but I'm still surprised that, you know, I look around the world today and I see all of these young people. I was just at the Dobbs rally for Roe v. Wade being overturned. And, you know, there were so many young people on the, you know, pro-life side, but on the opposing side, the people who were, um, you know, counter protesters, Mm -hmm. they were all like old men and like, yeah and some trans people and like a couple old women who are in their like 30s maybe and somebody's grandpa wait a minute hold the phone a second did you just say old people in their 30s (laughs) (laughs) maybe (laughs) no i'm going to be 30 in like six years i'm not okay (laughs) wow (laughs) but you know like the um somebody brought their grandpa And I was just like, somebody take their grandpa out of here. Like, why did you bring your grandpa to this? And he's just sitting there and he doesn't know what's going on. He's clearly like very senile, probably in his 80s. And I was just like, oh, Um, but yeah, there were like, I don't know. There were what what is 30 these days? Gen X? Gen? I don't think 30 is Gen X. I think that's I think that's millennial. Okay. Oh. Because you're Gen Z, right? You're Gen Z. I always think that I'm younger than I am. So you're, you're Gen Z. The millennials would be between your generation and my generation. So I'm Gen X. Okay. And I'm I'm 48. So so um there's like that generation between you, which is which I think is weird. It feels to me like there's there's too many generations. Like I don't think there should be a generation between my generation and your generation because like you are the age of my kids. Right. So that's the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> so it seems weird to me that there's a generation between, you know, because I'm too I'm too young to have Gen Xers. Well, sort of. Um, so it just I don't know. It just seems weird to me. But it that's is. that's that's kind of it seems like a generation used to be every 40 years. Now it feels like it's a, a generation like every 15 years. Yeah, or 10 years at this point. I mean, now there's like they call Zoomers because like I'm on the cusp too. I could have been yeah. a millennial, you know, 1999. My sister, on the other hand, is a millennial. She's 27 or 28 now, I believe. Yeah, she's probably right at the tail end of that, the top, you know, or the, yeah. the bottom end of that. And it's so odd, like you said, like having so many generations, because I'm like, well, now what? Like, what? what is the next generation called? Um, but that's something that is just crazy to me that there were so many, um, like, young people on our side. And on the other side, it was all like Gen X. Um, there was like no Gen Zs at all on their side, at least from what I could see. Um, and most of them were just older men, probably in their 50s, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's interesting. Like, you know, my generation, the pro the, you know, first of all, people who are social justice warriors or whatever, that's their identity. So they have Mm -hmm. to figure out like, what is sacred to them. And, and they're always going to be fighting some for some cause, they're always going to be out there advocating for some for some, you know, pet cause or whatever. And, you know, Roe versus Wade happened kind of, you know, towards the beginning of my lifetime, right? So they grew up with that as sort of the air you breathe. Right. And when they saw that change, they viewed that as like, oh my gosh, our freedom's being taken away. And so that so they're they're gonna fight that. Um whereas I think that that your generation, I feel like you guys, you have different technology and knowledge that we didn't have, you know, because if you remember like all of the the ultrasound technology, I was, I'm amazed. Like what my youngest is 22 now. Mm-hmm. And when he was, when he was inside my wife, 
we got ultrasounds and they were blurry and fuzzy like they used to be. Yeah. Nowadays, you can go and get an ultrasound and it's like you can see eyelashes. And, and I mean, it, it, like it's so detailed. Yeah. And I think that that has to make a difference. And I know we're kind of veering off the pro-life issue for a second, but I think that has to make a little bit of a difference when you can show a young woman that, that their baby is a human living being inside them. You know, I feel like they're going to be less likely to, to, to end the life of that child. That's Whereas in a lot of the older generations, they were, they bought into the lie that, Oh, it's a clump of cells. Mm-hmm. They didn't I have mean, to see the reality. of. And that's the thing is that, the big corporations banked on that not being able to and that's why when you go to a Planned Parenthood, you know, they don't show you the the ultrasound, you know, you're not allowed to see it. But if you go to a crisis pregnancy center, they will show you yeah. the hey, ultrasound. This is real. You yeah. can't pretend because it goes back to that issue of can you define reality? True. And people like to make up their own reality. And also they're pushing all of that, you know, false news, completely false, fabricated, where they're just like, this is what a baby looks like at, you know, 23 weeks or something. And it's just like fat or something. They put fat in like a Petri dish and they're like, Mm -hmm. this is what it looks like. And it's like, that's not true at all. And yet that's the news that we're going, that that's being spread about. And so that's why it's so important for my generation to be in the faith, because you don't need to be Catholic to be pro-life, but you do need to be pro-life to be Catholic. And I see this like transition of my generation and younger, you know, probably, uh, I think the youngest is probably around 13 or 12. And like from 12 to like, however old I am, 24, people coming back into the faith. And I've always wondered like what sparked it? but also I know for a fact that it's just, it's good because now we're mm. fighting for life and now we're on the right side yeah. of history, you know? But what do you think sparked that comeback in my generation? I think, so I think that you guys are starting to wake up a little bit to the the big lie mm. that this doesn't work, that you can't just define truth for yourself and that's just how it is. I think there are plenty of people who are going, okay, that's not that's not really practical. It doesn't It doesn't really represent reality. The other thing I think is, the result of this, of everybody getting everything they want in that space has been nothing but darkness, depression, addiction, and brokenness. So I don't know about you, and it may be kind of anecdotal, but I, I, I've talked to other people, it's their experience too. The people that I know and that I've seen that are the most bought into that crazy mindset are the most miserable people at the same time. You know, I've been seeing these things going around about, um, a certain actress who who transitioned or whatever and everyone's like listening to these interviews with with her and she's depressed miserable and 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 that's been my experience too like the people that I know that have have gone all in on that they seem to be just so un- unhappy and and miserable and so I think that there are people in your generation that are going either well this didn't work cuz they tried it mhm or they're seeing it and going, I don't really want that to be my life. So right. th- they're having a reaction to that and they're, they're, they're seeing the result of it. Right. And I completely agree with you. I mean, there are so many, the, the, the media is never accurate about the rates, but I believe it was around 70% of transgender people commit suicide after transitioning. They always say like, oh, 70% of transgender people commit suicide, but they don't mention that it's after they've transitioned and they realize that they cannot go back to their old bodies. They've, you know, their bodies have been mutilated and people allowed that to happen, especially if they're under 18. I believe it's kids as young as eight years old now can uh, 
have um, gender reaffirming surgery or whatever it's called. I, I didn't know it was that young. I didn't know at eight there was anything to do. But like, um, I guess, I mean, nothing would surprise me at this point in time because I know that the the world out there for some demonic reason, that's exactly what I think it is. It is. People that are older have this passionate desire to see that that plan, you know, fulfilled in the lives of young people, which I completely don't understand. But I think that that's how they feel like they can capture the culture is by mm -hmm. by blurring those lines and, and <clears throat> making that happen with younger kids. But I think that there are plenty of other people out there that are just not going to be fooled by that. They're too smart for that. And they're like, look, okay, this doesn't work. You can, you can do all these things and it doesn't really change who you are. And they see the result of that. And what I, th I think it's a stupid idea for their side, because I think if you transition someone or do that to someone that young, and then they're going to, they're going to grow out of that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then while they're still young, they're going to become a passionate apologist for why that's a bad idea. And I've seen exactly. that too. So I feel like, I feel like people are seeing the result of that mindset and they're saying, no, this isn't going to work. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it so much too. And I think priests really need to start speaking out more about it. I, I mean, I'm blessed at Cantius. We have wonderful priests who do, but you know, a lot of people aren't exposed to what's going on in the world because I mean, to an extent, like a lot of Catholics are sheltered, you know, they only listen. I mean, I'm sure they know what's going on, but I don't think they understand to the extent that it's happening. And priests really need to bring these things to their communities and be like, we need to fight against this. We need to make sure that our kids are not being exposed to this, like, you know, um, take take away their phones and stuff. But a lot of my generation who have come back into the faith, I mean, we have a lot of friends, you know, who are gay or they they you know they put their identity in this and we try to tell them like this is not you this is not your identity this is not who you are you know it's it's a lifestyle choice and a lot of people will say it's not a choice but you know one of the guys who actually came up with the gay theory said that it is a choice it's just interesting how all of this has come to where we are today you know over the years you know gay marriage was legalized and then you know, they wanted a day and then they wanted a week and now it's at a month and now you can't escape it. You know, it's everywhere all the time. Um, and so I think my generation, you know, we are armored up with Christ and we are ready to go minister to these people. And, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because I haven't really been able to have any conversations with uh, Gen X because most of the time they don't want to talk to us, like the younger, younger generations. They want to talk to the millennials. And I always found that interesting because I'm like, but why, you know, why is that? But anyways, I guess kind of getting, I know we kind of go all over the place. I was just, it's so fun. Um, but I guess kind of coming back is like, how do we reach the people who are thinking about leaving the church? Yeah. Those who are, you know, maybe um, being seduced by these ideologies to leave the church? Well, I think, I think that's a great question. And I think it starts with us. And it starts with the church itself. I think we have to show other people, we have to model the beauty and joy and devotion of practicing the Catholic faith. We have to we have to show people that. Because unfortunately, right now, the caricature of Catholicism in the culture is not what we wish it was. Mm. 
And the only way that's ever going to change is if more Catholics put forth a different, a different mindset and a different example. And now I can't do anything about that on a global perspective, but I can do that with the people in my life that have that perspective and I can show them a different example. That's unfortunately, that's the hardest thing, right? Because it's way easier just to say something or make a claim or make a meme or have a t-shirt or, you know, a YouTube channel or whatever. That's the easy thing to do. What's really hard to do is to walk alongside people and show them in real life what it looks like to practice the Catholic faith and that it's awesome. So I think we have to do that. But you know what else that requires? That requires community. We have to be willing to create community with people because that's one of the most powerful factors in why somebody stays in the church or not. It's not, that's why I'm saying like a lot of people, it's not about this, oh, I had this doctrinal thing that happened. No, my friends are all this way and that's what I want to do. Or somebody who really came alongside me and mentored me that I trusted then began to explain to me why the Catholic Church is not biblical. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, we have to counteract that with positive examples and positive community. So I, I feel like in order to do that, though, that's a, that's a big investment that we make in people's lives. It's not a quick fix. And everybody looks for the quick fixes, even, even Catholics. Yeah. We want to know, hey, what's the book I can give to somebody who's thinking about leaving the church? Well, that's about, I understand the, the, the heart behind that, but do you really think that someone who's thinking about leaving the Catholic church is going to read a book that you gave them about why they shouldn't? People don't do that. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're not wanting to stay. So please convince me they're wanting to go. So you, you have to, you have to present like an equal opposing force of community and example that will make them rethink that. And you have to be willing to walk through the difficult work of relationship and community because that's hard. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to journey with someone, especially if they're angry at the church and they just want to say nasty, negative things and they want to be um, cantankerous with you about the Catholic church. For you to enter into a relationship with someone like that to help them, it could be, it could be kind of soul draining, but that's sort of the point of what Jesus did. Imagine mm-hmm. Jesus coming down. See, I'm, I'm thinking about everything through the lens of the incarnation. Jesus comes down to earth to, to show the example and to minister to people and to get into the, to the weeds with people and to show them the better way. And yeah. that's what he's called us to do. We've got to, to be incarnational in our example toward other people. We've got to model that. We've got to be Jesus to them so that they will want Jesus more. I completely agree. That was wonderful. I I also think of Jesus who, you know, had to leave the crowds every now and then for his own self-peace and to minister to himself, you know, in his own relationship with God. And I think it comes down to, you know, as well, you know, if you're not taking care of your own spiritual life, you cannot minister to others. Absolutely. Because if you yourself are sick, there's a reason they tell you to put your mask on first before helping somebody else out, you know, on a plane, if the plane goes down. There's a reason for that because if you cannot, why would you help somebody else if you have not helped yourself first, you know, to be able to help that person? Otherwise, you're not really ministering to that person. You might not be giving them the amount of attention that they need. Um, and that that's not good as well. You know, we really do need to have this 
um, it's not selfish either. I think a lot of people think it's really selfish to only pray about themselves or, you know, have their own prayer with God. And it's like, uh, I've had people ask me, they're just like, well, is it okay if I don't pray for others? Like during my prayer time, can I just talk with God? And I was like, yes, like, it's fine. You know, offer some people up if you feel called to, but I mean, if you don't, if you just need that time with God, that's not a selfish thing. Um, we need that time with God because that's how we heal, you know, and then healed people heal people, whereas hurt people hurt people. Absolutely. And so we really need to make sure we're taking care of ourselves first and then going out and reaching our hands out to people. Well, that's part of what we need to model. You know, we need to model to people the, because this, again, this culture and this world is all about self-care, right? you know, self-love, which, okay, let's redeem that. <laughs> let's let's redeem that concept because on the surface it sounds kind of selfish which yeah. i guess makes sense but let's talk about why we need to take care of ourselves and what that means and here's the issue in society self-care looks like gratifying the desires of the flesh right okay but the scripture tells us in galatians that if you live by the spirit you will not gratify the desires of the flesh so self-care really is not about okay i just need a me day where i pamper myself and and feed my flesh. No, I need a me day in where I fast or in where I serve mm. or in where I am just alone with God, not connected to my device that's always calling to me. And and that's how I really take care of myself is by connecting with God, not by, you know, feeding my flesh because because the the two forces, the spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another. So we have to remember like real self-care is about taking care of your soul. So we have to, so it's, it's good to model that too to people so that they understand. Because again, people will get into this thing where it's like, okay, self-care, self-care, self-care. Why am I still filled with anxiety and depression and addiction? Well, it's because by self-care, all you really did was just contribute to your own destruction. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's the issue is like, you know, society will take what the church has and twist it. You know, we see that all the time. The church says, you know, to live in poverty and to, well, to an extent, you know what I mean? Um, and to, you know, uh, uh, mortify ourselves. The world says, you know, minimalism and this and that. There's the same thing. But the issue is that the minimalism is missing God. You know, without God, we have nothing. So at the heart of everything society is telling us is nothing and that's why we feel so empty and like you were saying you know they have self-care well we have self-care too but it's different because it's it's about controlling our flesh and realizing that when we have control over it that is when we're truly happy when god is at the center of our lives that is when we're truly happy it's not when we sit in a bubble bath with rose petals for five hours or you know or we like sit on the couch eating potato chips and binge watching the latest tv show that doesn't make us happy. And even in the moment, like, you know, controlling your flesh, mortify, mortification, fasting, and all those things. I mean, they have fasting too. It's intermittent fasting, but we have other fasting. It's just crazy to me how all these parallels. Um, but in society, they lack God. But see, you just made a great point that illustrates something that I was trying to say earlier about how your generation is starting to pick up on the mm -hmm. things that my generation was laying down as, as and, and your generation is going, no. So like this whole minimalism, van life kind of thing that you see out there where people are like tiny houses, all that kind of stuff, it's like get rid of all your stuff. 
that's not from my group, right? Yeah. That that's and, and especially not from my parents' group, right? But like my group was about excess. We wanted more. We, you know, I was a child of the 80s, right? We we grew up, we saw all the excess, the mansions, the multiple cars, the closets with 400 pairs of shoes, like yeah. all like those were our heroes. Your heroes are the the people who live with, you know, in a beat up van and they have absolute less and they're like I have discovered the truth that all this stuff doesn't satisfy me. And I'm like, oh, you guys are starting to get on it. You're starting to get it. We're getting There's, there. You're, you're getting there. But like you said, without God, though, it's ultimately going to become its own religion mm -hmm. that is going to lead to, because here's what's going to happen. It's the same thing, just on different spectrums. You made appointment, uh, an appointment earlier, Amber, about how, how it's just one thing after another, the message of the world, it just changes forms, right? Like you said, it changes right. fonts, but it's the same message. My generation thought, the bigger and better and more I can have, the happier I'll be. Mm -hmm. And we wound up addicted to drugs and, um, you know, bankrupt and broke, yeah. right? The crash of 2008, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Your generation is going to go, less is more. I want to be free from all of that stuff and drill down to the deepest part of, you know, inside of my heart and all this kind of stuff like that. And all of this, well, you're going to, they're going to find out that, What's at the end of that? Right. Darkness, depression, meaninglessness, emptiness. You know, we're all we're all trying to recreate the same thing, filling mm -hmm. that void in our heart. It's just throughout history, it vacillates back to which extreme do we do we go to? And everybody always tries to go the other way of the one that was right before them, because yeah. they've seen the excess going this way, going that didn't work, so I got to go completely the opposite. But what we realize is either one of you know either side of a cliff still leads you to death. Yeah. It doesn't matter bit. which side you pick. You need to stay in the middle, you know, and 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 find the truth that is God. Right. Yeah, there's that saying where it's in the middle there's virtue. You know, because there's always an access on one side or the other side, you know, and um like for pride, you know, on one side, you could be extremely prideful. On the other side, you don't want anyone to know you exist. They're both forms of pride. But in the middle, you know, there is virtue. And that's where it's like, I feel like we've been on this pendulum going one way and then going the other way. And, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just waiting for that pendulum to stop. And I don't know if it will, you know, because it's just human nature as well. And it's one of those things that I'm praying for, you know, to kind of have that, that, you know, peace and to have people come back into the faith and, and to find their true, their true selves. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we know how this usually goes, you know, it's it, one generation goes this way. The other generation goes that way. Like you were saying, well, the gospel is that middle Amber, because the okay. gospel, the gospel affirms that we are sinners mm. that in and of ourselves, we can do nothing apart from God. So the, the gospel affirms that about us, that we, are, that we are worse than we can ever imagine, okay? And yet at the same time, so, so that if you just follow that, you wind up in, in, you know, one extreme. Right. But at the same time, the gospel also affirms that you are more valuable and loved than you can possibly imagine, and that you have been redeemed by a God who sacrificed himself for you. 
Mm. So both of those things can be true at the same time. Yes, in and of myself and my flesh, I can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Jesus said that himself. Yet he also said that, that I'm giving you my body and blood. I'm going to die for you because you have so much valuable to the fa- so much value to the Father that I'm going to do this. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Right. So the, the gospel is the middle. It affirms both our, our, our fleshly um, darkness, but it also shows us the light of Christ. I mean, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You know, at the same time, he's telling people, look, it, apart from me, you can do nothing. So our problem is that we haven't realized that the gospel is the middle, right? Mm-hmm. We, we've, we've, we think that it's on one of these extremes, just got to get there farther. You know, I'll, 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 if I just keep going more in this one direction, I'll get there. Right. No, it's, it's not about that. It's about focusing on God and being, and this is, this is the key, letting God reveal to you what truth is. Remember, in Catholicism, this is how it is. Truth is revealed and received. It's not discovered and created. It's revealed by God. And it's received by by a heart by the grace of God, and when we when we can live in that place, that's going to take care of pride. It's going to take care of depression. So both ends of those spectrums that you talked about, it's really the same thing, just different sides of it. Both of those can be rectified when we receive that truth, because we recognize, yes, it's true. You know, I'm a dirtbag, <laughs> but in Christ. I can be holy. I can become who God wants me to be. I can actually experience that by God's grace because he loves me. So that keeps me out of falling off that cliff of depression and and my life is worthless and meaningless because I know that I'm loved and, and valuable. But at the same time, I don't go, well, I'm super awesome and can define truth of myself and I'm the best ever because I recognize that everything that I have comes from God and it's God's grace. So it keeps us grounded. Right. No, I love that. That's fantastic. I never even viewed it from that point of view because, you know, I think that's something my generation needs to hear these days is it's like just because they went in one extreme, you know, we have the virtue in the middle, which is the Gospels. I mean, we've all had them, but I think we're going to be the generation to really realize that, you know, and come back to that. And I mean, it's kind of scary being that generation that breaks the chain too, you know, because it, it can be horrifying, you know, having to, you know, go against basically in the entirety of society. I mean, that's kind of what we've, we've always done, but it's, it is very difficult to do. Um, and so, yeah, no, I just, I, I love that. I do love that. And um, I guess coming back to our last question really, really quick is how do we reach people who have left the church already? I think it's the same answer as the the last question. We have to we have to be willing to re- reach them incarnationally. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to to not write them off, to not give up on them, and to not say, "Oh, well, you've abandoned ship. Have fun with that. Uh, Enjoy yeah. hell." You know, yeah. we've got to be willing to still keep the door open to people. You know, imagine all those conversations that are had where a door is slammed. Someone walks away and another person says, if you walk out of here, you can never come back. Mm. You know, there are, there are families that have never reconciled after generations because of that conversation. I grew up in, when I was, when I was younger, um, 
our neighbor was an old couple who was always alone. They were just this sweet old couple, well into their 80s, and never came around. I asked another neighbor, I said, don't they have kids? Oh, yeah, they have kids. Well, how come I never see anybody visit them? Do they live far away? Nope, they live in town. Well, what, what's, what's the deal with that? Oh, well, before you guys moved in here, there was a big fight, you know, years and years ago. And that's basically what happened. And I remember thinking how tragic that is that this, this sweet elderly couple doesn't get to have a relationship with their grandkids and their kids because in, in an angry fit of rage, someone said, if you walk out that door, you can never come back. Mm. And that person said, well, see ya. You know, we have to make sure that the church isn't like that. Yeah. That people know there's always an open door to return and that we care. And not only that, but we will go out after that the, the one lost sheep. I mean, Jesus gives us this model, Amber, to this question. He says, what good shepherd among you who having a hundred sheep, if one wanders away, would not leave the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. Sometimes we have to go and minister to that one who's left and, and minister, but not from a standpoint of, hey, you're in trouble. <laughs> right. But a standpoint of, of what was it, what, you know, tell me about the darkness you're finding yourself in. Tell me about your pain. Tell me about, about, about where you are right now and what that looks like. And and be willing to invest in that relationship. So really, I think the answer is ultimately the same from the, the, this last question to the second to last question. We need to be like that towards everybody. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, to think about it, you know, we always have been told, how do you want to be treated? You know, and if we are harsh towards other people, like how would we react to that? We have to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and really ask ourselves like, what would our reaction be to that? And now some people might get all like huffy and puffy, be like, oh, well, it's fine. Like, I'd be fine if I talked to myself that way. And I'm like, but would you really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I don't think so. So that's the thing is something that I've really tried implementing is when I'm talking to these people, I try to go back to, you know, 2019 year old Amber, you know, 2019 year old, you know, whatever, you know, 19 year old Amber, 18, 17, 16, 13. 12. I hated going to mass. I hated everything about it. I thought it was annoying. I didn't like sitting for a long time. I couldn't eat before we went to mass. So I hated that. Like I couldn't text my friends. There was just so much that I resented about the Catholic church before I was even old enough to know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think that was actually spiritual to be honest. But the main thing is, is that, you know, when I came with these concerns, nobody could answer my questions. They were just like, well, we believe this because we do. You know, none of no, none of my friends were apologetics. None of my teachers, my catechism teachers or anything could answer any of my questions. My parents couldn't answer my questions. You know, they did a great job what they could, but at the end of the day, I wasn't getting questions and I was more or less met with hostility when I answered or when I asked questions. They were just like, well, we just do this because we do. Nobody gave me an answer. So I left, you know, to an extent. I mean, we left as a family, but I wasn't upset about it. <laughs> I wasn't like, oh no, we can't go anymore. You were like, sweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just like, now I can sleep over at my friend's house from Saturday into Sunday and no consequences. There were consequences. Oh my gosh. But the main thing being is that I did not understand it through poor catechesis to an extent, but I also didn't have anyone to take me under their wing in the church to mm -hmm. be like, hey, you know, this is why we believe this, you know? And so I've decided to kind of become that for younger generations and trying it's it, I'm not perfect. I'm not anywhere near being perfect. But being able to answer people's questions when they ask questions and not just be like, well, because we do. It's like, no, that's not going to convince anybody. And you can't, you, you, you know, it's not our place to convince anybody, but we do plant the seed. And at least giving them resources is important. 
That's huge. That's huge. I think, I mean, I, I like how you are taking it back to putting yourself in that position because you were there. Yeah. And when you think of your mindset, you ask yourself, what did I, what would have been helpful to me? What did I need at that point in time? And then for you to be that to another person, you, you have no idea the ripple effect that can have on, on someone else, which like when I'm, when I'm talking to people who are <clears throat> super anti-Catholic Protestants and, but they have a speck of openness to at least have a conversation you know, sometimes people are like, man, how can you talk to people like that? They're so, they're so rude and so mean and so wrong. I'm like, I completely understand where they're coming from because that's where I was too. So I just put myself back in that spot where I go, yep, I remember what it was like to believe that way and think that way. And what did I need? Because I had examples, good and bad from Catholics when I was in that place. And the good examples that I received are part of the reason why I'm Catholic today. Right. And, you know, I don't want to say the bad examples I, re I received were, were one of the reasons why it took so long because that, that wasn't really the point, but it didn't help. Some of those, some of those things went, when, when I saw negative things, examples in Catholicism, it didn't help, but the good overcame that. Right. And those negative examples are out there for everybody. So we have to be, you know, like I've said before, we have to be the kind of Catholics that we wish everybody was. Right. Understanding, like you mentioned, hey, we're not perfect. We're going to mess this up. We're not going to do things right. And, and that's okay. Jesus understands that. He understood the apostles were going to mess up his sermon illustrations. <clears throat> they were going to be like, oh, yeah, there was a time where this guy planted these seeds. And then the other guy's, that's not what he said. <laughs> you know, th th there was never going to be perfection from a human perspective. Right. But that's the beautiful thing about our faith is that it's not about us. It's about Christ and his church and the promise that he made to his church that the Holy Spirit would work within us to guide us into all truth. That's a beautiful promise. And we just have to understand when we become obedient and loving and, and able to be used by God, we can actually be the answer to somebody else's prayer. Mm. I, I, I pray all the time that somebody like you would come into the lives of, of people I know that I can't minister to, right? I'm like, oh God, send someone into their life that they'll listen to. Cause we all understand. And when you're, when you're older and you have kids, you'll understand this. Like there, there are things that, that someone can say to you, Amber, that you'll listen to. But if your parents said it to you, you'd be like, that's crazy. Yeah, that's just life. Well, somebody's praying for that person that you're having the opportunity to interact with. Dear God, send someone to them to help them. And guess what? God sent you. God sent you. So don't take that lightly. And remember that God sent you specifically for a reason. So let the Spirit of God dwell in you. Ultimately, here's the answer to your question and the ultimate question of how can we help people who are thinking about leaving the church or leave the church. Be led by the Spirit of God. Be so in tune with God that when you are having those encounters, it's not you and your great knowledge and your wonderful personality and your ability to, to have a witty comeback, okay? Mm. It's your being a vessel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to minister to that person in the way that God has decided that they need, not that you have decided. So be an open vessel and let the Lord lead you in that, and you'll be amazed at what can happen. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's something that we really do need to focus on. And I think that's 
the perfect place to kind of end our discussion. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I have nothing else to add. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's fantastic. But I definitely think that this will help plenty of my generation trying to figure out how on earth do we minister to these people? And on top of that, what we're being hit with, you know, with all of this um, LGBTQ stuff that's going on. And there's even a war in the LGBTQ now. They're trying to so separate the LGBT from the Q plus. What I don't know what's happening. But the thing is, is that we need this type of support. And I definitely do think that we are going to get that support. I'm sorry if you guys can hear my mom in the background. Um, but we're definitely going to be getting that support, you know, and we have people like Keith who are willing to help us as well. And so thank you so much, Keith, for coming on and just helping us out and, 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 you know, talking to us. This is, this was fantastic. Well, it's my, it's my honor to get to talk to you. And I, I want to just encourage everybody to, um, keep going in your faith and keep, keep moving forward. And if you feel like you're not worthy to do anything and like, what could God ever do with me? understand yeah you're right but also understand this you're here for a reason so in him you can do all things and he's chosen you and he's ready to work in and through you but you need the power of the holy spirit but it's available he's available and he wants to do a great work in your life that's so fantastic yes i completely agree and where can my listeners find you so if you go to youtube you can search for me there i'm, I'm pretty active on youtube uh, Keith Nestor. And I also have, if you want to pray the rosary with us, rosary crew with Keith Nestor. I'm on Instagram at Keith Nestor Catholic, Twitter at Keith Nestor one. And um, I have a website for my ministry, kind of it's the hub of all things, down to earth ministry.org. And that's down the number two earth ministry.org. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Keith, for coming on. I really appreciate it. We always have a good time. And with all of that being said, I hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast and we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with me, The Religious Hippie. Make sure to visit my official website at thereligioushippie.com, and while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date with my latest news and offerings. You can also find me on virtually any social media site as The Religious Hippie. Thanks for listening! A quest is a search for something, and every week the Quest podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. I'm your host, Todd Fisher. Join me in this thought-provoking and inspiring podcast of discovery. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Amber Rose and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright by The Religious Hippie NFP. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure to visit the official website for The Religious Hippie at thereligioushippie.com or find me on social media for other unique content.